This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. On the show today, you'll find out where book publishing is going and how to take advantage of it. How to identify and avoid publishing predators. What opportunities are emerging as the book trade evolves in new forms. How to avoid losing money and much, much more. Join us now as a variety of publishing pros will deliver insights and strategies to take the author to the next, next level of publishing. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. And now, here's your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Well, I always love to start um, our show with really wonderful news, and we just got word yesterday for one of our clients who I've talked about many, many, many times on the air as examples. Uh, it was a, a biography, kind of a memoir of his father. Steve uh, Snyder is the author. The book is called Shot Down. How to the, the true story of Captain Howard Snyder and the crew of the B-17 Susan Ruth. And it's an amazing, amazing story about how they were shot down over Belgium during World War II and they went into the woods um, supported by the community and they have become heroes, became heroes. Over the years where there are two museums in Belgium to them for what they did working with them and the underground. I mean, here are these guys who pretended to be mutes um, so they couldn't talk. And then the Nazis didn't know that they were Americans. But they're, they have memorial services every year honoring them. And when Steve's book first came out last summer, we did a rush, rush, rush publish to get it done so he could be over there with it and introduce it to Belgium and England. And um, it's, it's really taken off. It's had three printings. It's done extraordinary well. And the news that came in yesterday is that Publishers Weekly, uh, the Bible of the publishing industry, will have it on the front cover of the August 24th issue. So we're really celebrating and happy for Steve. It's got just hundreds of reviews. And what's so unique about it is that much of what he was able to do was from actual journals and letters that all the men kept and actually the, the farmers kept. And when they found out Steve was working on the book, they got them to him. So actually having those inclusions and you really hear their voices versus someone saying, well, this is what we think happened. This is what happened. So it's an amazing story. And this is what we're going to talk about stories today. And with me is Mark Stevens. And what's unique about Mark is he is a fiction author. And he is based here in my home state of Colorado, Denver-based. And he's the author of the best-selling Allison Coyle mystery series. He's got Antler Dust, Buried by the Rhone, and Trepline. And coming up here just really quickly is Lake of Fire. And he's also pulled down the Colorado Book Award for Best Mystery, um, which is really quite a, you know, a kudos that authors get. Years ago, I won the best in nonfiction for one of my books. And it really does make the difference when you can pull down the top state award for that. He's also, his series has drawn lots of rave reviews from Kirkus Reviews, from Mystery Scene Magazine, um, and a variety of local publications. So with that, let's bring on Mark. We're going to talk about 
character development and fiction. And one of the things that's important for all of you listening in who are my nonfiction authors and writers is story development is critical for nonfiction. I mean, I, I, it's how you pull your readers. Welcome to Author You, Your Guide to Book Publishing. Judith, thank you very much. It's great to be here. And I'm thrilled to have you here. I also should say that Mark is a former uh, president of the Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers, so he really understands this business of publishing. Oh, that's, so, going, that's a stretch. That's a stretch. <laughs> oh, no. Look, I think you start understanding it when you start doing it. I'm, I'm, yeah. all, I'm always um, uh, amazed and amused, let's say, when people mouth out about publishing and writing and authors, and this is what should be, and they are clueless because they've never really been in the trenches. And um, and you and I have both been in the trenches a long time. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm, yeah, we've both seen lots and lots of folks come through and their ideas and what they think the landscape really looks like, and it's really something else. Um, but it is complex and interesting, never, never, never ending fascination with all the new things that are coming along and, and the way things keep evolving. Mm-hmm. Well, Mark, tell us a little about about you. When did you first start writing, and when did you first get published? Well, I started writing in 1983, and I got published for the first time um, in 2007. So, 20, um, about 23 or 24 years between starting to write and getting published. I had very good New York agents: uh, one in the 80s, one in the early 90s, a third top uh, New York agent in the late 90s. All agents that have um, still exist today. One, one, um, one is no longer. Uh, in, in the same entity, it's a, a different woman who's still out there. But, uh, you know, these were good folks who really thought that they could sell my first three mysteries, and I was full of hope. In fact, one point quit a job because I thought I was going to be able to um, turn my career into writing fiction full-time in, in around 1990. And I'm still writing fiction today and still having a great time and getting books out there, but I also work full-time as well. So there's a little bit of reality for you. Oh, that, you know, that is a reality check. I mean, I've always told my authors, do not quit the day job or or the night job or whatever the job is until you can really fully support yourself. I mean, you know, I I certainly did that, gosh, well over 20 years ago, 30 years ago. But I supported myself with my words in my mouth because I was always speaking about what I was writing and moved it that way. But, you know, that's how I integrated it and, and actually moved a million books. But... There are strategies out here, and so the first—I the, guess—the first aha is don't quit the day job, yeah. keep on, but keep on writing, um, especially because you're, you're traditionally published, correct? Right. My first book uh, in 2007 was independently published by a very small publisher out of uh, Niwot, Colorado, and then my second book um, was picked up by in the same series was picked up by a medium-sized press out of Aspen called People's Press. They had about 40 or 50 authors, mostly nonfiction, um, great little company up in Aspen that is um, now gone defunct along with the first small publisher. Um, and then I was fortunate mid-series uh, to get picked up by Midnight Inc., um, which is a medium-sized house out of Minnesota, great mystery-focused uh, house with about, I think, 70 or 80 uh, mystery authors. Um, 
and uh, they are more of a traditional, well, they are a traditional publisher, and just a, just on the medium size, not a big New York house, of course. And um, so they published my third book, mid, mid-series, and um, they're publishing my fourth next month. In the meantime, I went back and formed my own company to, to keep my first two titles in print, and um, so those two are still active books. My new publisher I offered to see if they wanted to pick up those first two and reprint them all together, but they said that they would just wait and see how books three and four do. So for now, um, that's the way it stands. It's it's kind of an interesting amalgamation of my own. The series basically is my own company publishing my first two titles and keeping those alive, and then the new mid-sized house keeping the third and fourth um, rolling along. And, and, you know, I think what you've done is really a smart strategy. I mean, I also started off traditional, then broke away uh, and, and started my own company by a goofy thing that happened to me and then came about. And um, um, and then people say, would you go back to traditional publishing? And I, I say, absolutely. I, I would consider it, but only if they threw so much money at me, I just wouldn't care how they screwed stuff up. And that really is my general attitude. I think, though, that it, it, in your being with a small, a smaller traditional type of press that specializes in what your forte is, which is mystery and some suspense in here, that I think that's kind of that right way to go versus sometimes getting lost in a huge labyrinth of a house. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I have lots of friends who are published uh, out of New York, and it's a rough go, even with the mm-hmm. nice-sounding name, the familiar-sounding uh. name. Um, folks who uh, have had coast-to-coast tours and do really nice uh, what looks like uh, you know top-line work, getting lots of good reviews. But unless those numbers really start to fly, there's such a huge um, sea of uh, writers out there doing kind of the same thing that mm-hmm. the publishers can get quickly disinterested. And um, despite maybe putting a big splash in effort behind your launch one year, the next they're saying, you know, we're going to let you go. It's, it's, I, it's a it's exactly. It, it is exactly right. Because when I started in the business well over 30 years ago in writing, and, and St. Martin's Press was my first publisher, um, that it was, they really were, they really hung in there. I mean, they were your advocate and they supported with you. And of course, there wasn't as many authors out per se as there are today. But they were there. And when they sent your book came out, they were prepared to support you for many months in a variety of areas. Today, it just doesn't happen that way. And it's almost, if your book doesn't start showing traction within a couple of weeks, it's called Next. And you go under the bus. And yep. and it's a shock. It's it's truly a shock. And then you're and then you're so bruised, <laughs> you don't know what to do. Yep. So, yep. all right. So so you've been writing for a while, um, and you and you do have. I mentioned the Allison Coyle series. So, tell us who Allison Coyle is. She based on somebody? Yep. She was based on a woman I met up in the Flat Tops wilderness, and that's where the books are all set, which is in western Colorado, a gigantic uh, wilderness area. Um, it, it's exactly what it sounds like. The, the mountains are all flat-topped. The way the uh, plateau got formed and then the glaciers came through created this really dramatic and interesting landscape. Um, and my wife and I were up there on a week-long uh, stay at a uh, guest ranch, um, and one day went for a long 
uh, horseback ride, a sort of dawn to dusk horseback ride with, I don't know, eight or ten others led by a young woman. And, uh, you know, um, you typically on these kinds of things get a kind of grizzled old guy who has seen it all, done it all, and maybe spitting tobacco juice all day and not talking too much. And we got the opposite. We got this young, excitable, knowledgeable, um, articulate young woman who could just answer every question you had about um, geology, about cloud formations, the weeds, the trees, the animals. She was, you know, taking us all up on horseback. I, I was actually riding a mule that day. Um, and she was completely capable. Then at one point during this summer ride, she let it drop that she was also a hunting guide. And, you know, I'd been writing these other mysteries, um, various standalone things set in the city. Um, and it just was one of those moments out of the blue where you just, uh, you'll never forget that moment where you stop and say, what a brilliant idea for a character, a female hunting guide up in the woods with uh, doing stuff with with men and, and all their crazy business, alcohol, uh, hunting, guns, mm. you know, you've got... And, and plus, you're you're riding in the middle of of Colorado, which is uh, you know battleground over all these new West uh, versus old West issues. And it was really a riveting moment. Um, to and and then you know here was this woman who was um, sort of against stereotype, and you just think you know I think I can do something with this. So. Um, now I'm coming up on the fourth book about her, and so yeah, it's all born. based on her. Yeah, she's born. So, you know, we're going to take a quick break here, but here's what I wanted to do. Let's let's get into her a little bit. And you've already mentioned the background because what you've done in your books, as I've read a few of them and I like them, is that you've made your the geography actually a character. And I'd love to have you expand on the development of that as well. Sure. Great. We'll be right back. Mark Stevens is my guest. We're talking fiction, story development, character development. It's author you, your guide to book publishing. This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Many of us have dreamed of writing a book. Some of us even have. Then the hard work starts. You'll need an editor. Who will design the cover or typeset the pages? Who will format the ebook? If you're a business owner, consultant, or coach with a serious message and expertise to share, the team of experts at 1106 Design can guide you through the maze. They've helped more than a thousand authors create top quality books and avoid the not so reputable self publishing companies. Learn more at 1106design.com. Then call Michelle at 602 866 3226 1106Design. Is there a book in you or another? Author You will show you how to create, develop, and publish your book without being hoodwinked. If you already have a book out, you'll find a supportive and brainstorming community that's connected and creative no matter where you live. Author You brings in national experts for its book camps and annual author extravaganza held each May. It has regular meetings and delivers webinars for its members on timely topics. 
Through AuthorUse Extensive Network, members enjoy exclusive benefits, including significant discounts for a variety of services necessary to publish. The Resource, its online book publishing news magazine, is content-heavy and it's free. If you want to create a book that has pizzazz, punch, and panache, AuthorU is for you. If you're a hobbyist or a casual author, it's not. Join AuthorU today through its website at AuthorU.org. Follow AuthorU on Twitter at AuthorU and on Facebook at AuthorU, where timely author and publishing tips and articles are posted daily. AuthorU, where the author goes to become seriously successful. First impressions are everything in the world of book publishing. Whether your book is an ebook, a print version, or both, your book cover needs to pop, sizzle, and sparkle to immediately capture the attention of your audience. And your book's interior needs to be just as dynamic and reflect the professionalism your readers demand. Nick Selinger of NZ Graphics has won numerous national and international book awards for his cover designs and interior layouts. With over 20 years of experience in graphic design, he knows what it takes to create award-winning books and the many promotional pieces that authors need, such as posters, banners, postcards, one-sheets, business cards, logos, and more. Visit ncgraphics.com and see what authors and publishers have to say about their award-winning books and how NZ Graphics can make your book the success it was meant to be. That's nzgraphics.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book, if you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. All right. How do you create an alluring a character that you love, but maybe sometimes you hate. How how do you go about doing this to really create what's what's called and what every author wants, and they want a critic to say it's a page turner. I couldn't put it down. Isn't that not right, Meyer? You want that? Uh, yep. Yeah, you do. All right. Yep. So so um, we were talking. He was talking about where. I admit. There you are. Yeah, we're there. It's it looks like um, internet. It looks like Skype problems. Um, okay. That where the his key character came from a guide he met when he was up doing some camping in the in the mountains. So how do you? Uh, and one of the questions I asked before we went to break was how do you really pull in even your locale and make that an ongoing current character, which is what you have done so elegantly well. Well, thank you, um, and I have had lots of people say that, um, which I do appreciate, and I do think the flat tops wilderness in this case, um, you know, have become sort of a key element to the whole series because they are so unique. Um, but no matter where the character uh, lives, um, and I hope this would be true for a city or any domestic situation, anything that's sort of more traditional and more kind of, quote, normal about a character's life. I mean, um, 
I think it comes back to the character and it comes back to how the character perceives um, their world. And that includes and starts with their immediate surroundings. So, um, you know, um, I, th- I think that, that everything the character does, and this is, how, this is something I've only begun to understand recently. I've been thinking about character development and what, I mean, I think there's some sort of magic, isn't there, about picking up a book, reading simple words on the page, ink, black on white, you know, words on a page that create these ideas in our heads. It's just one of the most powerful, magical experiences Mm -hmm. that's out there. It's better than any magician in Las Vegas can come up with. So we're, we're reading these words. How do we transport the reader, um, to this, um, to the, to the, be in the skin of these characters? Well, I think it comes down to, and it's something, again, I'm continuing to learn and trying to study about, and I I think there's so many other people out there who who put a lot more thought and work into it than I have, but, um, you know, every, everything they do, every thought they think, everything they see, everything they touch, everything they feel is an opportunity to show character, and whether the pages are flying fast or whether... It's kind of a more, a little bit slower book that um, still has lots and lots of tension in it. Um, you, you know, I think the one thing we're trying to do is to introduce our readers to new people, new experiences, um, and show them a, another way of seeing the world. And so with Alison Coyle, um, she is um, actually a transplant to the Flat Tops Wilderness. She she came there as a healing spot after she survived an airplane crash, a commercial airplane crash. And um, so to her, being an outsider in this place, she'll always see it as sort of her healing spot and her new home, but she still views it as a little bit of an outsider. And and to that effect, she appreciates it more and um, has come to learn about it, um, is fascinated by it. And I think that that also pulls the reader along, um, because she's still in the process of of um, absorbing it into her system, so to speak. So um, it's a key element in the books because the flat tops is a key element in her character development, um, having having survived the crash. Mm-hmm. So it's something that is, probably had great fear when she went down, but she became to love it because it was her survival. Exactly, exactly. and brought her about. Okay. So, yep. you know, one of the questions I have, because I, I have seen, uh, and especially, you know, one of the top awards, the National Book Award, there have been several awards that actually, and, and I will buy them. I mean, I'm a, I'm a book buyer crazy. I'm, if there's one addiction I have, it's books. <laughs> and that it, I, I buy some of these and I hate them. I hate the characters. I find nothing enduring, nothing I care for. I actually wish they'd just die and bring somebody <laughs> on. And and yet, I you know, when you read the reviews or the, or the critics, maybe the critics, that they rave about, you know, the author's uh, way with the pen and the way with words. But but I, I just find nothing to, to bring me in. And I've always wondered... Um, how that happens, just, you know, it's not my hiccup, because I've heard it from several people with some of these recent, in the last 10 years, National Book Award winners. They right. hate the writing. Yep, and, and, and I've come to this kind of conclusion, and it's, 
it really helps me a lot, which is very simple. Um, shockingly, not every book is for every person. Now, that sounds like a crazy thing to say, and I, oh. of course that's true. Of but, course it is. Yeah, and, and also I, I say thank God for that because that's why we read. That's why there were 300,000 books published last year or whatever the number was because there are so many um, people with stories to tell, and one of the ways they get to tell it is sit down and write a book, and they find an agent, they find an editor, and away it goes. And yes, it finds an audience, and yes, um, many folks love it and drool over it and uh, sing its praises and even slap an award on it. And Joe Blow, meaning me, pick it up out in the boondocks, and it falls flat in my lap like a, like a, like a brick. I want nothing to do with it. And you know, you know, you just move on. Um, I completely agree. There's there's so many book award winners I've picked up where it's just I don't get it. Well, I figure it's either me or them. It probably is me if it's an award winning book. And sometimes I've found if I keep that book around, which isn't likely, but if I do um, and go back to it in another frame of mind or another kind of approach, sometimes I get it. The second time around, I say, oh, that book just needed another another day, another point in time where I was ready for it or more open to it. So it's, it's weird. And that's what's so fun about it. It's, 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 it's exciting to, to kind of see the controversies and the um, different takes on, on, you know, one, one critic thinks it's literature and the next thinks it's trash. Uh. Well, I think that's an understatement. I mean, that, <laughs> I think it's, that, I think it's, I think it's interesting. I think it's endlessly interesting to watch that kind of debate go on. And I, I liked trying to weigh in, and I'll bet you and I could um, probably debate um, a few books that uh, you probably loved and I probably didn't like. And that's that's another reason why we read and why we love this so much because we get to. Again, this magic, you know, you and I get to stand in a room and talk about over a drink or something why we did or didn't like a certain mm-hmm. book. And, and that's mm-hmm. also part of the whole fun of the process. Mm-hmm. No, it, it is. I remember I used to be, uh, you know, from when John Grisham first came out. I mean, the, the book, the opening scene, for example, from A Time to Kill, I, I thought was one of the most powerful open writing I've ever seen. I loved that. And I'd love to use it as an example. Um, and that that it got to the point where I kept thinking, is he writing this stuff anymore by himself? Has he got a blind team in, which, as you know, a lot of them do. Right. Once they become big, they have blinders that come in and do that. And there was one book that a few years ago was so awful, I actually took it back to the bookstore and asked for my money back. I've never done that before. And I posted a just uh, uh, ripping apart review of on Amazon on it. And then I discovered a lot of other people had done the same because my conclusion was he didn't write it or he wrote it with an hourglass that he was flipping saying, okay, I'm done. I'm out of here. And, um, and then he's come back. His latest book is actually quite good. So, uh, you know, it, do, it does happen. People do have bad times. I mean, yep. I think all of us have bad times in our writing where we're not as sharp, we're not as funny, we're not as elegant, we're not as, as gripping, we're not as revealing. Um, it, it, all those things happen in it. But you, either you stay in the game or you find out what the hiccup is and get it fixed. I mean, that's yep. my attitude. Yep. Oh, yep. I'm with and, it. And now that I'm, I feel 
so fortunate to be coming up on my fourth book. So I've got three out there, and uh, which isn't much, but it's a. Uh, these aren't quick for me. They take take me a little time. But to even say that I have three out there, and now people are coming to me and saying, like my third wasn't as good as my first, and I'm just a little crushed because, you know, you you think you're getting better, and you just have to nod and say, well, I'm glad you like liked one of them and um you know it's great to have comparisons and and certainly not all three i mean i think there are some authors that uh every book is uh you know really really good and top notch but it's pretty rare i'm a big big fan of patricia highsmith for instance who wrote a lot of dark suspense and she wrote 25 or so novels i don't know and lots and lots of short stories and i can tell you for sure some are really good and some are not quite so good and that's just the way it goes. That's just the way it goes. Uh, and that is the way it goes. And so you understand it, and you're talking about bounce, bounce back. So I think that, you know, one of the things I'd, I'd love to kind of get into um, also is the whole area of, of, I think you hear more times, it takes longer to write a fiction usually, um, usually a lot longer. I mean, you can, I'd love to know some of your processes. I think our listeners would. And I, and I would love to know some of the things you do for when you get kind of caught how do you go about and start getting yourself renoodled and back into the game, so to speak? So, sure. so with us, great, is Mark Stevens. He's the author of many books. The Allison Coyle series is really highly recommended if you love mystery, which is what I like. And uh, Trapline is his latest book, which is multi, multi-award winning. This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Since 1987, Color House Graphics has set the standard for quality book production. Whether you decide to print a small quantity of books or need a large print run, depend on Color House to help you. You'll receive professional help and advice the moment you reach one of our representatives. If you mention hearing about us on your guide to book publishing, Judith Bryles, we will provide you a discount on the first order you place. To speak with a project manager, call us toll-free at 800-454-1916 or visit us at www.colorhousegraphics.com. When Ned Thompson and Harry Shore started Thompson Shore in 1972, they believed employees with great character would make up the best company. They were right. They hired people who were not only experts in bookmaking, but who were obsessed with quality and delivering exceptional customer service. Almost 40 years later, Thompson Shore remains a 100% employee-owned company. Ned and Harry knew that successful customer projects are a direct result of empowered employees. We specialize in all books for large and small publishers. Creating beautiful and well-made books, we're dedicated to pleasing our customers by making the experience a good one from start to finish. The personal touch we have with our customers allows us to be innovative in solving their most difficult challenges. Our platform also ensures that we can remain flexible to meet our customers' unique needs and expectations. Our marketing kit can create buzz for your title, enhancing the promotion of your book during infancy. When you need to test the market to gauge your future sales, we can provide digitally printed books that will transition seamlessly into a larger offset run. From ebook to hard copy to delivery, our skillful customer service teams are at the ready 
to answer your most pressing question. At Thompson Shore, we know that making the highest quality books requires more than just best technologies. It requires superior customer service, professionalism to the trade, and commitment to environmental and social values. With these standards of excellence in place, you can be sure that we will always help you put your best book forward. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Coming up, you'll hear more about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Okay, we're talking fiction today, and our guest expert is Mark Stevens, who has written several books, winning lots and lots of awards. Trapline is his latest. And we're into the whole thing of character development. And one of the things that I did want Mark to um, drive into, two two real things we I'd love to get into, is that what happens when a character runs out of gas? What do you do with them? Do you... Do you um, Take them um, to the dawn and dump them, or do you do you, do, do you uh, let them go out to pasture and maybe they retire, or they move off, and all of a sudden they're just gone? I mean, how do you handle that as an author, Mark? What, what's the decision part? Yeah, I mean, um, it's also organic. I don't, I don't think you can come up with one blanket rule and say, here's what you're going to do. Um, I do write all my books from multiple points of view. They are the Allison Coyle mystery series, but I, um, like in Trapline, for instance, the latest, I introduced a brand new character, a reporter, a mountain, a mountain town, Glenwood Springs-based reporter. Um, I've always told the stories um, from Allison's point of view, of course, but also um, a woman who becomes her friend in the first book and has become her sort of... Uh, well, it's sort of a little Thelma and Louise-ish, her girlfriend in the second and third book, um, just sort of cohorts. Um, and her name is Trudy, and Trudy will play a big role in the fourth, um, and I'm writing the fifth now. But, I mean, I think that there's no blanket rule, but the thing is, you know, uh, what what is each of these characters going through? And what, Are you looking at growth? Are you looking at development? Are they running into trouble? Are they making bad poor decisions um you know they are you bringing them to you you always want to try to bring them to to a crossroads um where they have to make a major decision with some consequences and what are those consequences um is this an opportunity to show you know the character's upbringing their point of view that something that they can um you know reveal to the reader, and I think I, I constantly try to think about the reader, and what is the reader going to be entertained by? I mean, are they going to be um, entertained by some regular old day at the office, so to speak, or are you really showing um, the characters facing um, some important decision? And that gets into this whole area of thinking about how the million different ways in which a book is totally different than real life in terms of how it's compressed action and compressed, um, you know, thought process and all that kind of stuff. But, um, you know, I think, uh, like I say, I don't think there's a blanket rule. It needs to be an organic approach and it has to be character based. I keep coming back to character, character, because, um, to some, 
suddenly just lurch over to having them become a um, downward spiral, uh, you know, kind of trajectory to their life, unless there's something that really propels that or a decision based on who they are, then it's not real either. It's just sort of cartoony. Mm-hmm. No. And and so when when they come to an end, they'll come to an end in some way. Right. And for, for in terms of protagonists that I've got going, um, I have had, um, like I said, multiple characters. And in the fifth book I'm writing now, um, at least at this point, it's just a draft. And, you know, every draft is just a draft until you... Um, until the publisher says we're going to publish it. But uh, I will be... Uh, killing off a character in the fifth book and it's kind of a new experience for me but i think um well if i say his i think that kind of gives it away but um i think his purpose and his um value in the storytelling process was about done in terms of my cast of characters and what i had going so yeah feels kind of strange to say goodbye but uh it's fiction and and i guess you have to say when it's done it's done Right. You know, when you're done with them, you're done with them, right. and that on. And then you you bring in probably other new people exactly. that are going to to fill the gap. Well, so Mark, you're you know you're working on your fifth book now. You've, number three is out. Fourth is at the publisher. I'm I'm assuming comes out September eighth. It's so it's very close. We're yep, three and, weeks. Yep. All right, and that's called what? It's called Lake of Fire. Right, and that is that is that part of the Allison Coyle series? Yep, or is that's that number okay. four? Correct. Number yep. number four in the series. All right, so the character, the, the saga goes on with Mark Stevens. With that, Mark, when you're writing, um, that I don't I don't know what kind of writer you are. I'm a binge writer. I go in just furies where I'm just really um, so focused that nothing can even penetrate. And get into my space and my in my in in my peripheral vision in my head. Any, I'm just so focused on getting something done. Um, what do you What do you do when you run into times when you're just n- that no no ideas are flowing through? You, you yep. just can't move. What happens? Well, um, first let me just tell you, I'm the exact opposite kind of writer. I write every day that I can. Um, usually six or seven days a week. I write for about an hour, hour and a half every day. Um, and it's early in the morning, first thing I get it, get it done and out of the way. And the days that I don't write, I feel like I've um, skipped a, you know, a week at the gym or something. It just feels terrible. I want to get back to it so bad. Um, so I'm the exact opposite. And, and um, you know, when I ever get to a point where I'm a little bit stumped by my own story and my own plot, what's going on, um, Tell me if you've heard this before, but I keep coming back to character. And, um, you know, I try to put myself in the character's skin, and I try to say, you know, what is she or he feeling right at this moment? What is going on? If I have not come to a point in time where it's um, something interesting about how they're sensing the world or interacting with the world or interacting with the antagonists or the people that they're trying to uh, work with to discover the true antagonist, the true villain of the story. Um, 
if there's not something interesting about those moments, I need to back up a few moments in the in the book and simply start writing down. I really literally just start writing whatever they're thinking at that particular time, whatever they're feeling at that particular time. I'll, I'll literally, if I can't, if I can't nail down what they're thinking at that time or sensing at that time, then I have no business writing. So they need to be moving. They need to be active. You know, we we don't see too many books outside of Proust where the characters are literally almost doing um, nothing. There's a, a famous Russian novel called Oblomov about a guy who, you know, didn't like to do much. And there's Melville's story about Bartleby the Scrivener who preferred not to do anything but you know, for the most part, we want our our protagonists to be active and engaged, and there has to be a little bit of fire on the page, a little bit of some sort of crackle that um, will keep things moving. So my remedy for not writer's block, I, I, I just call it being stuck, is just to simply start writing down what they're thinking and what they're feeling, and usually that gets the story rolling. And and so, you know, I often say that when I talk to my writing clients is that if you need to trust your characters to let them lead you too. sometimes you just have to have a discussion with your, you know, have a yeah. have a, a mental discussion or you say it out loud with your characters. What's happening with your feeling? What's going on? And, and right. let them talk back to you. Right. Right. Yeah. And the other thing to do is to look at yourself, you know, um, I mean, the the great book on writing by Stephen King, um, a really mm-hmm. tremendous book by David Corbett, um, who's a fabulous mystery crime writer himself. David Corbett wrote a tremendous book called The Art of Character. And they both, um, you know, if you write, read Stephen King's book on writing, he spends the first half of the book talking about his own upbringing and his own past, his own childhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said there is no, there is no um, secret pile of great book ideas there is no, you know, idea factory. There's that you just have to look inside yourself and rethink about those moments. Um, David Corbett talks about this too: of greatest fear in your life, greatest shame, greatest puzzle, greatest, uh, you know, all these things we've all been through. They might be on a relatively minor scale, but we've all been in these kind of hiccup moments, these uh-oh moments. Um, and or some interaction, um, maybe it's a girlfriend, maybe it's a parent, a cousin, a friend. Um, you know, I think for the most part, we've gone into strange situations, and you have to draw on that. So, and I'm not necessarily the kind of guy who loves to look internally, but all these writing coaches and folks just say it over and over again, and it's true. You can go back and really focus and concentrate on those moments and then draw from them to explain how your protagonist is dealing with a, a situation. And it, it's really right there. We're all human beings. We've all been through um, these experiences. And we have. So it's, it's taking back. Actually, uh, Stephen King's book is one of my favorites on writing. I highlighted yep. that book all yep. over the place. Yep. So, so you got part little memoir, but what you see is where he came from. Yep. Yep, and, and 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 look at the guy. I mean, you know, there's another example we were talking about earlier. You might not love every book, but some of his books are just exquisite. And um, and again, the ones that I don't like, other people other people love. And there you go. But nonetheless, it's so identifiable as Stephen King. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 he's just got that way of drawing you in. That's 
he's a master. He's just an absolute master, genius, all-time great storyteller. And I love high literature. I love, um, you know, modern fiction uh, and everything else. But give me a Stephen King that's good, and away I go. I mean, it's it's. Uh, I mean, that's really that kind of stuff that makes your mouth dry and you forget where you are for about three hours when you're reading. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't realize that Stephen King just does not write horror. He has quite a repertoire um, of what he has created and nope. and nope. and and what that puts together. All right, so we're going to take our final break. What I want to come back is I'd love to get into um, some of the some of the do's and don'ts that you'd like to give. I mean, you're out here. You've been involved working with a lot of writers for a lot of times, and you've seen a lot of hiccups and mistakes that maybe we can kind of short-circuit some of those for our listeners sure. so they can move forward. All right, this is Judith Bryles. You're listening to Author You, your guide to book publishing, and Mark Stevens is my guest expert in fiction today. This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. The book shepherding concept is simple. The publishing world is changing and so must you. You need an experienced shepherd and a guide to partner with you as you create, strategize, develop, publish, and achieve your publishing goals. You can't do it alone without paying the price. You can spend your money creating a book that turns out to be so-so, or you can create a book that looks and feels classy, builds your brand, and is a financial success, a bestseller. It's your choice. You choose. You need the book shepherd. Publishing is riddled with obstacles, sometimes nightmares for the author. You don't need problems. You want solutions. Dr. Judith Bryles will shepherd you through the maze and the chaos. At times, she's had to step in and rescue a book, a book that has been sabotaged by a publisher or by a publishing service provider or sometimes even the author themselves. Judith Bryles is the book shepherd. If you want to create a book with no regrets, give her a call today, 303-885-2207. That's 303-885-2207 or email her at judith at bryles.com. By the way, Bryles is spelled B-R-I-L-E-S. Follow Judith on Twitter at MyBookShepherd and on Facebook at TheBookShepherd. At Total Printing Systems, customer service is our priority. We are located in Southern Illinois. Our employees have an average of 18 years' experience and know that customer relationships are important to our continued success. We have been a short-run book printer for nearly 40 years and always stay at the forefront of technology. Our niche is from 1 to 5,000 copies. Today, we offer digital black and white and four-color high-speed inkjet printing, a cost-effective way to introduce color into your short-run titles. We, of course, offer traditional offset printing as well. Bindery is done in-house, from adhesive case binding to PUR perfect binding to mechanical binding of all types, including side sewing. We provide warehousing, kitting, distribution, inventory management, a new print-on-demand facility, streaming browser-based eBooks, and bookstore. Call us at 1-800-465-5200 for a quote on your next book project. You can also visit our website at www.tps1.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. 
If you want to write and publish a book, if you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Okay, so we were talking about Stephen King, and and who I'm a fan of his. I'm actually not, I don't like horror. I mean, I'm scary. I I will hide in the seat. I cover my eyes. I put my my fingers in my ears. If there's a movie going on, I'm not doing it. But I am in awe of the skill of linking words and bringing words in. And I always love one of the things he said, listen, if you've got to go to a dictionary to figure out what word to put in, you're in trouble here. Um, so, uh, but you don't do it. But I think one of the things that's important about reading some of these great, um, authors who have been so successful and, and you read them in not only in your own genre, but outside of it. But I, I think it's important for authors, um, to, and, and writers to really ponder over a paragraph that just so jumps out at you. I mean, what makes it marvelous? What, what happened here? What, what, what did the writer do that so engaged you? And, and here, there's a lesson. I mean, that's how I look at some of this. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And I, you know, I think there, there's, it's so cool to be reading along, um, and there's that, that little switch that happens. It's a magic switch, and you disappear. I mean, we've all felt this. We've all felt the opposite when we're reading a book, and we just don't come out of ourselves. We're so aware the entire time that we're reading a book, and that's frankly, sucks. We want to disappear. We want to mm-hmm. go into this other space, and you're reading along, and suddenly you come to a paragraph, and it's such a beautiful paragraph that you actually have to come out of yourself for a minute and stop and go, what the oh. heck did he do here, he or she? And oh, it, oh, 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 Mark, I've actually called people. I mean, one of my favorite books was Seabiscuit. Sure. By Laura Hildebrand. And I actually called, I, I got to read, can I, do you have a minute? Can I read this page to you? It yeah. was so fabulous. I love, yeah. I love being pulled in that way. That's, that's exciting for me. Um, yep. as, as a yep. reader, just to marvel at other people's work on yep. that. There's an example of terrific storytelling. And my wife, I think that was one of the few books I've seen her just in like a day and a half. She put her nose down and she wasn't going to move for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. It was a, just such a strong, strong narrative thread. Oh, believe. yeah. You know, and and who would have thought? I've never, I have never read a horse book in my life. But boy, right. I was deep into red, yep. <laughs> big red. Yep. Okay, so let's get into. You know, we have a few minutes left. I'd love to get into some of your really awesome tips that you can give to fiction authors in the up and coming, and some of the old hats out there that maybe you're getting a little tired. Well, um, you know, I when I look back on. The 23 years between starting to write fiction and getting published, the one big thing, and I know everybody's heard this before, but it's true, uh, the one big thing that changed for me anyway is is joining a writer's group. Uh, Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers, um, I'm now, um, I was past president, as you mentioned. I'm now a vice president of Rocky Mountain Mystery Writers of America, um, also, Western Writers of America and Colorado Authors League, etc. I believe in the power of networking and learning from each other. I so believe in that. Um, sure, there's a point at which 
you're um, going to conferences and not writing. But if you're writing every day um, and can get to a few conferences a year, make some friends, tr- find some friends you trust to give you honest feedback, not your friends or family who are reading your beta uh, manuscripts, but real professional friends who can honestly have a calm, uh, non-threatening conversation about the quality of your prose and the quality of your story and the quality of your dialogue, et cetera, et cetera. And you can work with each other. That is that my number one tip by far. Um, and it sounds like something you've heard all over the place, but um, I think that there's a there's a weight and a, a professional kind of weight and a, um, to to meeting other writers, there's a uh, sort of a center of gravity and a knowledge base that is invaluable, and it's free, other than maybe the $45 a year to join. Um, so that's number one. Number two is you just got to keep writing and keep getting better. I look back on the books I had with excellent agents in New York, including, we mentioned John Grisham at one point, I was represented by John Grisham's agent in 1993 or 94, and I thought my ticket was punched. Um, and, uh, you know, at, uh, if, if that book had been published, looking back, it's not as strong as the stuff I'm writing now. And it may have been, a, it may have made me a lot of money, but I wonder what the reaction would have been. It's just, in my mind now, not a publishable book. Now, that's really saying something, I think, to to look back and say, you know, it's a good thing that that didn't happen because I think I got better. So for me anyway, and there are some writers out there who instantly know exactly what they're doing and they can produce a high quality book. Um, for me, and I think most other writers I know, it simply takes practice like the Beatles or anything else. You just have to practice and get together and, and pay your dues. Um, so I'm not saying it's necessarily 20 years, but it might be a couple or three books until you really start to see the process and see how it all comes together. So it's not a quick art to get your hands around. And I'm, and I at least still love reading books about writing. I still love going to workshops, meeting new people. Um, you know, going back to pick up David Corbett's book, The Art of Character, or reading James Wood, the, the How Fiction Works or reading Jane Smiley, who's got this amazing book um, called 13 Ways of Looking at the Novel, and it's so inspiring and so thoughtful. Um, I, I just go back and sort of try to get something new and different each time I sort of set out on a new project. One of the best things about the business is keeping, keeping learning. Exactly. That's exactly right. So if you were to ID like a major mistake that authors do, what would that be? Um, believing in your in your first or second draft and just, you know, <laughs> and you being, th- being, thinking that's it. <laughs> yeah. And just being completely stuck on it um, and happy with it and refusing to budge um, in the end product when you go with a publisher, whether it's a small independent. I mean, the only exception here is when you completely self-publish. But even if you completely self-publish and do it right, you should be hiring an editor, a good professional editor, and investing in that editor because you want a good quality book. And the second you are doing that, you better be open to feedback and you better be open mm-hmm. to changing something. There's These are changeable things. And if, if a variety of people are saying the story could be better, guess what? The story could be better. So take the time, go back and make it better. 
Um, there's no rush to get out there. Um, you know, you're you're better off taking a few more months or a year to really produce um, the a better version a better version of the book that's in you. Um, that first or second draft. Um, and I still look back on some things I could have done better in the first couple of books in the series, and, and even the third. It, it'll haunt you a little bit about missed opportunities. Well, at some point, you do have to say, this is as good, good as it gets for now, and um, I'll try to do better on my next book and keep, um, keep moving along and keep uh, trying to incorporate the new things I've learned. Mm-hmm. And, and there, there's there's a couple of things that come in. I can remember years ago. I mean, my first book was published in 1981, um, and that I can. And I thought that actually, I thought that was going to be the only book I did. And here I am, 34 books later, Mark. But that in that, um, what I. I didn't really have it edited, edited. I mean, I sold it, sold it to, had a couple of bids on it, sold it to New York. And then they took over and they really did deep dive editing. I don't see editors out of any house really do the type of editing that they used to do decades ago. And the expectation that I see is that you're going to have at least a first run edit done by by someone who is savvy in your specific genre before you even try to submit it to yep. sell it. Is that your experience? Absolutely. I I hire an editor to help me with stuff that goes in before it goes into my editor at Midnight Inc. Um mm-hmm. you know, I really believe in making sure it's it's tip top before I and then, and then it you know goes to my through my personal editor through the editor at Midnight Inc. and then it goes to a line editor and and addition about ten or eleven beta readers here, people who are willing to read the first drafts or the near final drafts I mean for and give me feedback um, well back in the process. So I love editors. I love hearing what they have to say and um, trying to parse through for the common themes and then. You know, thank you. That gives me a chance to exactly. Write a better and story. so, and and people groan at what they cost. They're a critical component of what you do. Um, yep. And so, this 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 writing venture, this whether you're fiction or nonfiction, there are costs to it, and those costs lead to opportunities. And that the last thing you want to do is have schlop out there. Um, out there. You really wanted to have it the best shot for where you are at this time. And too many people engage in what I call the RTP syndrome, the rush to publish. And as you said, you know, maybe next year is a better year as you rethink, redo, re-expand, re-fill in the blank. <laughs> yep. <laughs> You've it. got 300,000 books or whatever was published last year. And if this is your first book, you have about a minute and a half to make a great first impression. Yeah, and that's going to kind of be uh, that'll be our last comment. Thank you, Mark Stevens, um, for being with us. Next week we have John Kramer. We'll be deep diving into Pinterest, and you want to hear this episode. This is Judith Riles. It's author you, your guide to book publishing. Keep on writing, and certainly publish. Thank you for being a part of your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryle.